Good morning, Bentry. Man, it was good worship, was it not? I mean, that you guys, uh, I like worshiping with you. This is my favorite church. And not just because I work here. Not just because I work here. My name's Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And they give that title to the guy with the longest beard. So uh, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 14. Psalm chapter 14. Really, we're going to be all over the place, uh, probably landing the plane. So as we continue our special series this summer... Just a reminder, this is not appropriate for children's ears under middle school. Middle school and up, you should hear this, uh, this, and because the world is equipping you with all the wrong things, all the wrong lies. So we want to equip you with tools, what the Bible says of how to live with biblical principles with these areas. If you've missed any of these weeks of this series, I'd highly encourage you, go back and listen to those, pick those up. God will bless you with that. You can do that on the Bentry app or on Apple Podcasts. Um, The name of the series is God, Sex, and Finding Redemption in a Broken World. Man, that is no accident in the name there uh, because uh, there's few other areas in our lives where Satan has got such a strong foothold as this area. I mean, just think of the, uh, the, the baggage, the scarring, the hurt that's been caused in this area. And the goal of the series is really for Christians to put us back into right relationship. Because here's what the lies of Satan do. What they do is they trick us into thinking that we cannot be used by God. Do you understand what I mean? This is a series about getting us as believers in right relationship, thinking right again. And if you're not a believer in Jesus, man, we are glad you're here. Like I get that it takes guts coming here. And we want you to know we always speak with both grace and truth. We, and it's because we love you. We'll always do that because we love you. To find new hope and joy, especially if you've got some baggage and some scarring in this. Uh, And I get that this is a little awkward. Uh, Think of me, man. i got to stand up here and talk about these things. But i got to tell you, this is beautiful stuff. Sometimes pastors, though, have been guilty of preaching shame. You know, and and saying uh, condemnation for this, making sex out to be something bad, and yet that's far from the case. Sometimes, too, Christians have put forth the wrong idea is if you'll do enough right things that Jesus will love you more. If you could just be a little bit more pure that Jesus would love you more. That's not true. What we're talking about here is how to put you in right relationship. But it's not going to cause Jesus to love you more. Listen to me. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. So there's no guilt, no condemnation. But we, were, uh, we are going to read truth today. It may be a little painful. God created men and women as sexual creatures. It is part of our identity given to us by a loving God. The very fact that we are either male or female is a gift from God. We are quite literally made to fit together. Physically, yes, I know. But psychologically, emotionally, it is those two genders that we've talked about that fit together that give us the ability as a humankind to reflect the glory of God. 
And we're going to look at that more. Somehow, Christians have been labeled anti-sex. Uh-uh. Or, or the word has been uh, gotten out there or spread that God somehow hates sex. How is that even possible? He created it. He created it. It's the world that has co-opted it. Well, let's start out our time today with a foundational truth. We've hit this before in the series, but I want you to write this down. It's a little bit long, but I want you to write it down anyway. This is important. Sex is a good gift from God. Someone say amen. Uh, designed to be and enjoyed in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. That's important to understand. Because our spiritual enemy, Satan, has short-circuited this whole idea of God's plan for so many people. I mean... Promising love and fulfillment and delivering the direct opposite is what Satan has done. We often say here, God creates and Satan counterfeits. That's what's happening here. And that's certainly true in this area of life. God has this amazing gift, but Satan wants to ruin it. Here's what we know about the original plan for sex. Back in the beginning of the Bible, way back in Genesis chapter 2, when God introduced the first idea, the first family, and he had this man and woman together there. He said, the two shall become one flesh. God created one of the most intense, physically intimate, deepest spiritual connections that is possible in the universe. The good, gifts, good gift of sex is powerful. It's intoxicating. And if done right, in the most, it is one of the most significant spiritual connections any two people can have. I know you're, you're thinking I'm crazy if you have never viewed sex this way, but it, it can truly bring a unity, a oneness between a man and woman so that they are no longer two but one. I mean, I don't say any of this lightly, but truly, sex in a marriage can and should be a supernatural connection. And I know this sounds strange. This kind of sex uh, can remind us of the unity and the relationship that we can have with God Himself. The connection. The fellowship. The world will many times talk about sexual freedom as some kind of a gift. Like sex with a lot of different people. You don't have to connect emotionally, spiritually. It's just a physical thing that, uh, that many sexual partners is a good gift. I've got to tell you that's a lie. And I've got to tell you I'm so sad for them. Because they will never get to experience that sex in a marriage that the Holy Spirit has blessed. That connection, that oneness. They miss this wonderful gift that God has given now, the danger in this kind of series is that if you're single, you might check out on me mentally. Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, or uh, that you go, hey, I'm not having sex, so I'm not going to listen. I go, listen to me. This series is just as much for you as for anyone else. This is going to be a thing that touches you, I promise. It will equip you with the Word of God. And every time that we study God's Word, what are we trying to do? We're trying to understand who God really is. Amen? 
So that's what we're going to do. Uh, let's get started. Uh, uh, let me do this before we pray and get started. Uh, uh, you may not have heard if you hadn't uh, read the news. Uh, we've had two uh, mass shootings in the last 24 hours. One in El Paso uh, and one in Dayton, Ohio. And, uh, and lots of dead, lots of wounded, lots of tragedy uh, on there. So we want to lift our brothers and sisters up and listen to me. We don't deny that there's evil in the world. But what we know is God wants to use his church to bring comfort and healing. So why don't we pray and ask God's blessing? God, we pray for our brothers and sisters there. God, we pray for the hurting that are going through this right now. God, I, I want just you to use this to bring people close to you. God, use this to just start a revival in our country. That it wouldn't be a, a, a talk about politics, but that it would be a talk about getting our lives right with you. God, I, I pray for those first responders. I pray for the injured. I pray for uh, those recovering right now. God, and I pray for those that are, have lost people or are just finding out right now, God, that you would be real in the middle of that. God, our Father in heaven, your name is great and greatly to be praised. We ask why, but we really want to just see you here. God, we open our time today. Our prayer is that you would be present in this place. Father, I know that there's so much hurt around this topic uh, from our past, uh, both sin that we have committed and sin that has been committed against us. God, would you just use uh, what the enemy wants to label us and tell us and lie to us. God, use all of that stuff to mature us. Help us to see your truth in your words. Speak your truth as we dive deep in those words, God. Uh, bring your redemption into, your li into our lives. Uh, it's in the name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, amen. amen. Let's start off with a question, shall we? How did God create something so good and how did, God, uh, how did uh, the enemy take it and it goes so bad? Talking about this issue, here's how the enemy works. He takes the good gift with all of its promises and he turns it around and he says this, true happiness can be found if you find the right perfect relationship. And true happiness can be found if you find the right physical, sexual experience. Those two lies together. And if you repeat both of those every day, if I have the perfect relationship every day, over and over, and if I have the same or a better sexual experience every time, the enemy says, that is happiness. So how does this lie start? How does it get its foothold in our lives? Well, generally speaking, uh, for men and women, it's a little bit different. It might be good for us to think through how um, psychology has looked at uh, both men and women. This is, uh, this is just what we know about women, how they are attracted to the sexual experience. For girls, the motivation for sex is driven more by romance. Does that make sense? It's the story. It's the words of affection. It is wanting to be wanted, to be seen as pretty. This is not a rule. This is just what psychologists tell us on this. A woman is asking, is there a man who would want me? Who would desire me? Who would pursue me? Don't get me wrong. Physical contact, 
seeing a man for a woman, that's not a turnoff. Well, for some of you, it might be. But for women generally, it's the story, not the sight, the touch. But for men, it's different, isn't it? It is the tactile. It is the sight. It is the smell. It is the sound. It is the touch. To be able to see a woman that draws men in. Sexual motivation for men is more driven by that stuff. The desire for the actual sex itself where the idea of being pursued. It's not that one has the total uh, dominance over the other, but that's how men and women tend to differ. Now, we have to be careful when we talk about desire. Because when we talk about desire, you can see as we live in a fallen world here, how a woman's desire and a man's desire, they can go together and bring them together wholly, but also in sin, it can be very different. Because a woman may want to be desired and say, hey, I want you to desire me. They may not want the actual sex side, but they will say, I will show you what I, what I have here. And men are saying, show me what you have. And you see how that draws people together in unhealthiness. Our desires, even good ones, that are given to us by God, can and are corrupted by sin. Remember, original sin. The idea that we sin because we are sinners. The original fall of man. We live in a fallen world. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. The place is messed up. So your desires, my desires are corrupted. Look at this Psalm 14 verse 2. It says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, who seeks God. All have turned away. All have become like, have become corrupt. Let me just check. How many have turned away? All. All have turned away. All alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now this is God speaking here. Check out this line. All alike have become corrupt. So we have this base desire for the opposite sex, opposite sex and sometimes for the same sex. Because our desires are corrupted. But those basic parts of our lives as male and female, if they are corrupted and how they are, we have to look at that, how, scripture, uh, how they look in light of Scripture. Look at, let's look at Jeremiah 17, 9 for just a moment. The prophet says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And, and incurable, who can understand it? Can somebody say amen to that? Can somebody say amen because your own heart is deceitful? Amen. Amen. You know this to be true, don't you? Your heart lies to you. I'm talking about your emotions, your desires. If you, if you and I step outside of ourselves and just kind of look back for just a minute. Pastor Ralph says, unzip the, the me suit and step out of it just for a minute and look back at yourself, right? Our desires can never be quenched. Have you ever thought about that? It's like there is no satisfaction. <laughs> the Rolling Stones come to mind. Come on. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no... Come on! And I try. And I try. And I try. And I try, come on, I can't get no satisfaction. 
You can just tweet Paul just saying, satisfaction, long live the Rolling Stones. Our desires can be fed for a short time, but they are never satisfied. They come back. The crazy thing is that the sex act, as you feed that desire, only gives more. I mean, think about porn for you guys that have wrestled with that. And girls, the reason that porn gets worse is you look at it, you go, man, I am fulfilled with that, uh, but now it doesn't fulfill me the same way, so I need something more. And it gets harder and uglier. Here's what we need to understand. Write this down. We must not trust our natural desires to lead us to happiness. Now, I'm using the word happiness as the idea for satisfaction. The idea of completeness that, that is just not there. Our natural desires will not lead you there. Here's the thing. I know this sounds crazy, but what you think you want, you don't want. And you go, Paul, I know what I want. What I'm saying is you don't. I'm using that word happiness here. Think about this. Think back as far as you can that happiness. Has there ever been something that satisfied you? And you go, oh yeah, food, even sex, even, uh, man, music. I go, no, 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 satisfied, like quenched the desire. No, because everything you feed, you want more of later on. Are you with me? I mean, think about the best song. You want another song, the best meal. You want another meal, the best movie, the best romance. I want you to notice something here. Our natural desires are always focused on us. Always. That's what makes them desires. Now here's what you need to understand about the natural sex drive for both men and women. Even though we come at it differently, here it is. Uh, here it is, write this down. Fallen sex is selfish. Fallen sex is selfish. That's how we come. The sexual desire that we have is always selfish. It's all about me, baby. Think about every song that you have ever heard about sexual drive. Every book you've ever read on it. Here's the flip side of this. Good married sex is about serving the needs of your spouse. Good married sex is about, serve, uh, about serving the needs of your spouse. Christians are called to die to self and serve others. Just like the rest of Christian life, the way we find happiness, completeness, and joy is in serving others. Amen? I mean, that's the whole idea. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Love God, love people. And the marriage relationship this is critically important to understand. There's good fruit from the sexual union in marriage. The church father, Augustine, he said there's three fruits that come out of this. Good sex between married men and women. Fidelity, fruitfulness, and the relationship of the husband and wife. Now, for the rest of our time together, what I want us to do is I want us to think about the purpose behind God giving us this beautiful gift in the, uh, of sex in the marriage and think through then behind that what is the lie that the enemy slips in. Does that make sense? So we're going to look at the truth, but then we're going to look at the lie here. Let's look at number one, God's purpose in giving us sex here. Number one, to truly know a spouse. To truly know a spouse. This is the deep spiritual part and certainly it's physical too. By the way, you'll find that those two always go together. Physical and spiritual. 
It's a combination of those two to help us to know our spouse through the act of lovemaking. Now we see it from the beginning, just after the fall of mankind into sin. There is this picture of uh, Adam and Eve. Look at it with me. It's Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. The man was intimate with his wife. Eve means what you think it means. And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Now some translations you might have say he knew his wife. I like that. That's not a bad translation because it's what it's getting at here. They know each other at a deeper spiritual level. Adam knew his wife. That only works, listen to me, only works in the marriage relationship. There's something supernatural here. Is, can you know a person deeper that is not married having sex? Absolutely, but not at this level. What is the lie here? Though, what is the lie? There is nothing to know at a deeper relationship level. That's the lie. It's just a physical thing. The lie for guys is that it's just physical touch. His longings are satisfied at least for a moment. The lie is just that it's a physical thing like eating a sandwich, having a, a, a beer, smoking a cigarette. It's like that. It's some experience. Now, what's the lie for the girl? That there is a deeper meaning and that you can... You can get to that meeting even though you're not married. That sex will take you to that deeper meeting. And if, if I submit to you this time, uh, if the girl says, I submit to you this time, I, I, can, I can lure you into knowing who I am. But it won't work. It just won't work. God's purpose number two, here it is, to achieve intimate oneness. Now, this is closely related to knowing your spouse, but it's different. Genesis 2, 24, look how we walk backwards in Genesis, getting earlier and earlier. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. This is a deep subject here, but, uh, but look at the things going on here that God creates. God creates marriage. That's his invention. And let me just say, the man leaves his bond with his mother and father. Do you see what's happening? One family is tearing. That's natural. Mamas, let your babies go. It's okay. They need to be able to go. And a new family is started. Now, you've always read this and you go, well, it's just talking about sex. And it is talking about sex, but it's talking about so much more. Only God can unite a man and a woman in marriage. Only God can. I officiate as a pastor, but only God can make one flesh. Do you understand what I'm talking about? This is important. We're not going here right now, but it's important to understand why same-sex marriage does not work. The divorce rate is teetering on 90% so far because it, it can't work. God is not there in that. Look at the math between a man and a woman. It's not one plus one equals two. It's one plus one equals one. One. When you combine things, it makes something completely unique. Think of like elements on the periodic table. You combine two elements, you get a, a different thing altogether. They're not the same thing anymore. I mean, if you combine 
what is it, two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom, you get water, H2O. That's why we say that, right? It's something different. That's what's happening. And God is causing this. A, man, a woman might leave that. Now, let me just say this. What's interesting is the lie here that the enemy slips in for men is the same as the last one. The man believes that there's nothing going to happen. I'm not going to know you at some deeper level. There is no oneness. It's just a physical release, like eating a sandwich. Now, a woman might believe that too, but knowing what we know about a woman's desire, usually it's a woman yielding to a man's desire because she wants that oneness. It's part of the fall. We don't have time to go there. But once we fell into sin, a woman and a man's relationship was now like this, where it had been like this. Do you see what I mean? This is one of the key reasons that sex outside of marriage does so much damage. You know that we are made for so much more in the marital relationship, but you have settled for less. You have this desire and a need for oneness and knowing, but you have no way of getting there because quite frankly, God is the person, is the thing that he unites the marriage together. Look at number three. God's purpose, to, com to comfort our spouse. Now, we could spend an entire day on each one of this, but we've got to move quickly. Look at this example. You remember Abraham? Abraham, Sarah, his wife, they, they long for a baby boy, and finally they have Isaac. It's God's provision, and Isaac grows up, and Isaac is a mama's boy. She's the one that fixes him up and all the stuff with his uh, wife, Rebecca. But in this verse, Sarah, his mom, has died. And he's just brought his new wife home. Look at this, Genesis 24. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and took Rebekah to be his wife. And took is what you think it means. Took her to be his wife. Isaac loved her. And he was comforted after his mother's death. The physical act of lovemaking... Knowing each other, being one, comforted Isaac here. Do you see that? Now, what's the lie of the enemy? Well, the enemy would agree that it does bring comfort, but not for the same reason. Let me give you some insight here. When men turn to porn, it's not because of a sexual need. Some of you are saying, yes, it is. And I say, no, it's not. And you say, yes, it is. And I say, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No changes. <laughs> because here's what it is. I've counseled lots and lots of men. Some of you guys. It's usually the need for comfort. It's usually the need because something at the office went wrong. Maybe the relationship you're at loggerheads with your, your spouse. And porn says, you need a little comfort. You, you deserve this, right? You deserve this. It's how Satan counterfeits. You just need comfort. Besides, you know, the money's tight right now, and this is, this is all you have. Just yield to this. It's usually my life is so difficult right now kind of thing. By the way, porn is not just for men 
uh, women, something along the neighborhood of uh, 30% now, this is in the church uh, of women are struggling with porn. What's interesting is because women aren't typically uh, designed that way, uh, it is because men have led them into that. To say, if you'll look at porn with me, you see what I mean? But women have a different kind of porn. Women wrestle with the story. That's why romance novels sell so big for women and not men. Men just go, show me something naked. Women go, show me the story. And you could hear a pin drop right now, right? <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey, hello? Women, that's porn. It's woman porn. It just is. Notice, outside the sexual marriage, uh, sexual, uh, sex outside of marriage is all about what I can get out of the other person. Like a pack of cigarettes. I get the cigarette out and I smoke it. I throw the pack away. That's what earthly sex is about, not heavenly. I want you to read this or write this down. God's purpose, number four, to create life. This is huge. I, I wish we could camp out here for a long time. There's so much spiritual stuff here that we could just dive down into. To create life is central to our purpose as mankind. Adam, the Hebrew word meaning man and woman, both sexes. It's our job. Now don't hear me say if you don't have a baby, you're not fulfilling your job. I'm saying for society as the church, for uh, from before the fall, before we fell into sin, and after the fall, uh, God gives us this blessing. Look at First Gen, uh, Genesis 1, uh, verse 28. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. What's the blessing? Well, we don't know totally. Because we've never experienced marriage without the fall. We've always been in sin. But clearly, one of the central parts of the blessing was to create life. God wanted to bring creation through the birth of babies. Through the marriage, the ability to make love and create life. And check this out. The command is repeated after the fall of people into sin, and then also after uh, the flood with Noah. It's, it's repeated then. The command to be fruitful and multiply. The idea is that godly families, Christian families, are to have sex, have it often, and have it for their entire life. To create babies. Lots of babies. We need babies. Did you catch on? I want you to have more babies. This is babies. By the way, this is still our command today. So what's the lie here? Children will ruin your life. That's, that's, the, that's the lie. Uh, we can't afford them. This isn't a convenient time for you. By the way, there never is. All the mom said, yeah. Why would you sacrifice your career for some little person that cries all the time and poops their pants? That's what the enemy says. This is where abortion comes into play. <sighs> Being a pastor now for 20-something years, I, I hurt for, yes, the babies and the dads, but I hurt for the mamas that have been tricked into this lie, been coerced by men that said, I won't have a child. 
Remember, the enemy always wants to make sex about you, not your spouse. And he certainly doesn't want to make it about your children, but it is. But it's not all about making babies. Look at number five. Here it is. Number five, God's purpose to give and have pleasure. This is the romance, baby. If good married sex is about giving to the other person, it's also about receiving a good gift, a pleasure from your spouse, being a servant to the other person. Listen, listen to King Solomon's words to his wife, all right? This is, we need some, we need some Barry White playing on this thing. It's like, you have captured my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captured my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful your caresses are, my sister, my bride. Your caresses are much better than wine and the fragrance of your perfume than any balsam. Your lips drip sweetness like honeycomb, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. My sister, my bride, you are a locked garden, a locked garden and a sealed spring. Your branches are a paradise of pomegranates with choicest fruits, henna, with nard and nard and saffron, calumus and cinnamon, with all the trees of frankincense and myrrh and aloes, with all the best spices. You are a garden spring, a well of flowing water, Streaming from Lebanon. Whoo! This is hot stuff. We need some very white plant. I got something better. I got something better. How about some righteous brothers? Amen? Righteous brothers. Oh, my love, my darling, I hunger for your touch along lonely time. Now, that's scriptural right there. Yeah, yeah, that's scriptural right there. Some of you need a cigarette. Some of you couples are going to be putting the kids down early for a long nap when they go, Mommy, I don't want to take a nap. Oh, yes, you do. You want to take a nap. Hey, by the way, that's a good thing. That's a good, good thing. What's the enemy's lie here? That's, that's all there is. That's all there is. It's all about the physical side. Number six, you ready? God's purpose, to avoid temptation outside the marriage relationship. Oh, listen to me. The enemy hates marriage. And he hates married people having sex. I promise you. Because it draws them together in one, one person. Let's take a look at what the Apostle, tells, Apostle Paul tells us about this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Paul tells us, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. Each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. A husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, a, life, a wife to her husband. And a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband does not have right over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. 
then come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. The man is to be satisfied in making love to his wife and nothing more. And the wife is to find satisfaction in making love to her husband. Husbands, listen to this command about your wife. This is Proverbs 5, 19. Husbands, a loving deer, a graceful doe, let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Men, none of the other breasts are for you. None of the other hips, none of the other uh, the things that draw us in. Men, your wife, that's yours. Wives, listen to this command about your husband. This is the next verse in that Song of Solomon we read. You know, the hot one. Now it's the woman. Now it's the woman talking. His bride talks back to him. She says, Awaken, north wind. Come, south wind. Blow on my garden and spread the fragrance of its spices. Let my love come to his garden and eat its choices. Who said the Bible's boring? <laughs> what is the lie of the enemy here? Think of I, to think of our bodies as our own and not our spouses. To use sex as a tool. Ask yourself if sex in your life has worked like this. If I can get this, then I'll give you that. Hello? That's not how it works. So many times, and as I've done marriage counseling, it's been something like this. Well, I won't give him sex because he doesn't do this for me. And I read that scripture and it takes away any argument, right? Or, I will do this if you do that for me. It becomes a bargaining chip. But listen, you do not own your body, your spouse does. Period. A Christian marriage should be based on bringing satisfaction to the other person in marriage to give sexual enjoyment that is due him or her. Now, so how often? How often do we do this? Well, I tell young couples that I meet with before they get married, uh, I say, guys, uh, you think you're signing up for the daily plan, right? It's okay to laugh at that. That's funny. And ladies, they think they're signing up for the biannual plan. Because ladies, let's just face it, you're like camels. You can go long distances across the desert. And guys are like stopping at every water fountain going, I need a drink. I need a drink. But really, how often are we to have sex? The answer is as frequently as the other person requires. But remember, the Bible is also full of moderation, seeking to please the other one. Now, don't miss this. Sexual relations are, are equal. They're reciprocal. The Bible does not give man superior rights over the woman or the woman over the man. It's reciprocal. So what kind of sexual acts are permitted in the marriage union? Use this as a guide. And it's okay to take notes. Whatever's safe, whatever is pleasurable, whatever is enjoyable, satisfying to both parties, that means uh, uh, neither should demand from the other what is painful, what is harmful, 
what is degrading, what's distasteful for him or for her. No other person should ever be, no third person should ever be in the marriage bed. Ever. Now, let me say something that's pretty delicate here. But I mean it. No porn. I've had couples, Christian couples that say, yeah, but we just use that to kind of get us excited. But here's the thing. That's introducing a third person in. Because what it's doing is the man's focusing on her and making love to you. Or vice versa. And you say, but Paul, my wife agrees with it. I don't care. It's against what God has. And it's destroying your marriage. Do you understand what I'm saying? Marital relationship, uh, sexual relationship is always to be guided by the idea of one's sexuality is to be other spouse focused. But because when it becomes me focused, you open yourself up to all kinds of problems. We begin to make sex about us, not about our spouse or about the experience. Let me give you a warning here. Even... Um, even good sex in a marriage relationship in a Christian couple that both love Jesus can become a false idol. In other words, you can place the pursuit of good things above the pursuit of God and it becomes an idol. You with me? The truth is the best sex with the perfect match, and the most perfect marriage is not capable of fulfilling your base desire. No romance will ever truly fulfill your desire. Here's what you need to understand. Our true desire, desires can only be satisfied in God. So don't try to make it fit that des uh, satisfaction. One of my favorite quotes by author uh, C.S. Lewis is in the book, Mere Christianity. I, I love this. He says this about our desires. He says, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Folks, this isn't your home. You live in a fallen world. For you Christians, we live in the already and the not yet. We have been redeemed. We've had our sins forgiven. But we have not seen the full fruition of what God is going to do in heaven. I believe this. We are made for a different world. Somebody say amen. amen. One where sin will not entice us. One where sin will not lead us astray, where temptation will have no effect. Our sinful old self is so easily led astray with this area. Talk about being uncomfortable. I get it. And yet pastors don't talk about this. And yet it's probably the main one that trips people up. This and money. James 1.4 says this. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Whose desire draws us away? Our own. It's part of our sinful flesh nature. Our own sinful desires. When we yield to temptation and follow headlong into sin, those temptations only get more seductive. Paul tells us to combat evil desires we naturally have. 
So don't give me this, well, God gave me the desire, so I'm going to act on it. What, do you think God's wrong? No, I think you are. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. How do we do that? It's spiritual warfare. Pull close to Jesus. Drink in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer daily, multiple times. It's spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual battle. But make no mistake, it happens right here in the physical, in this body. Paul tells us this in Colossians 3.5. He says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. Hello. Impurity. Lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. How do we know what this stuff is? How do we know what's right and wrong? You know what's right and wrong because God said, I wrote it on your heart. I wrote it on your heart. The Apostle Paul says, even non-Christians know what's right and wrong. He says about non-Christian with this in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, he says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them. Let me close our time with this thought. We want to be a church that raises people up, not beats people down. Do you understand me? We offer grace. There is redemption in this place. But we also offer truth. Why? Because we love you. We want you to know the truth. Only Jesus can save you. But once you are a Christ follower, you obey His commands because you love Him. Whatever's safe. Whatever is pleasurable. Whatever is enjoyable. Satisfying to both parties. That means uh, uh, Neither should demand from the other what is painful, what is harmful, what is degrading, what's distasteful for him or for her. No other person should ever be, no third person should ever be in the marriage bed. Ever. Now, let me say something that's pretty delicate here, but I mean it. No porn. I've had... Couples, Christian couples that say, yeah, but we just use that to kind of get us excited. But here's the thing. That's introducing a third person in. Because what it's doing is the man's focusing on her and making love to you. Or vice versa. And you say, but Paul, my wife agrees with it. I don't care. It's against what God has. And it's destroying your marriage. Do you understand what I'm saying? Marital relationship, uh, sexual relationship is always to be guided by the idea of one's sexuality is to be other spouse focused. But because when it becomes me focused, you open yourself up to all kinds of problems. We begin to make sex about us, not about our spouse or about the experience. Let me give you a warning here. Even... Um, even good sex in a marriage relationship in a Christian couple that both love Jesus can become a false idol. In other words, you can place the pursuit of good things 
above the pursuit of God and it becomes an idol. You with me? The truth is the best sex with the perfect match and the most perfect marriage is not capable of fulfilling your base desire. No romance will ever truly fulfill your desire. Here's what you need to understand. Our true desire desires can only be satisfied in God. So don't try to make it fit that uh, satisfaction. One of my favorite quotes by author uh, C.S. Lewis is in the book, Mere Christianity. I, I love this. He says this about our desires. He says, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Folks, this isn't your home. You live in a fallen world. For you Christians, we live in the already and the not yet. We have been redeemed. We've had our sins forgiven. But we have not seen the full fruition of what God is going to do in heaven. I believe this. We are made for a different world. Somebody say amen. amen. One where sin will not entice us. One where sin will not lead us astray, where temptation will have no effect. Our sinful old self is so easily led astray with this area. Talk about being uncomfortable. I get it. And yet pastors don't talk about this. And yet it's probably the main one that trips people up. This and money. James 1.4 says this, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Whose desire draws us away? Our own. It's part of our sinful flesh nature. Our own sinful desires. When we yield to temptation and follow headlong into sin, those temptations only get more seductive. Paul tells us to combat evil desires we naturally have. So don't give me this, well, God gave me the desire, so I'm going to act on it. What, do you think God's wrong? No, I think you are. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. How do we do that? It's spiritual warfare. Pull close to Jesus. Drink in the Word of God. Spend time in prayer daily, multiple times. It's spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual battle. But make no mistake, it happens right here in the physical, in this body. Paul tells us this in Colossians 3.5. He says, therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality. Hello. Impurity. Lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. How do we know what this stuff is? How do we know what's right and wrong? You know what's right and wrong because God said, I wrote it on your heart. I wrote it on your heart. The Apostle Paul says, even non-Christians know what's right and wrong. He says about non-Christian with this in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, he says, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. Their competing thoughts either accuse or excuse them. Let me close our time with this thought. We want to be a church that raises people up, not beats people down. Do you understand me? We offer grace 
There is redemption in this place. But we also offer truth. Why? Because we love you. We want you to know the truth. Only Jesus can save you. But once you are a Christ follower, you obey His commands because you love Him. I'm certainly not saying I have this down perfect. Far from it. I laughed at God that He wanted me to do this series. I've never met a Christ follower who has this down perfect. But what I'm saying is that if I'm forgiven of my sins and pursuing a sinful life, because of that, that love of Jesus, I am going to pursue a holy life because of the forgiveness and righteousness. Will you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are to give us this wonderful gift. And though we have messed it up so drastically, so bad with sin, God, uh, my prayer is, God, that you would redeem this. As you just can sit, uh, consider and sit through these words that I've just said, just in an attitude of prayer, I want you to pray. Some of you are incapacitated by something that has happened to you sexually. Maybe something done to you, maybe as a child, maybe a rape. Maybe you are incapacitated by something you have done to someone else. We live in an age where people accuse and say, look what you did in your past. But let me, let me just tell you that the evil one, Satan, that's how he operates too. He accuses. And some of you sit in a prison right now that you think, oh yeah, I'm forgiven, but I could never serve God because of your sexual past. But I want you to know that the door is open. You just push against it. Here's what I want you to do. Pray and say, God, I accept your forgiveness. And I will act on that forgiveness. And I will pursue righteousness in every area, but especially this area. And obviously that means that if you have an ongoing secret sin, maybe it's pornography. Maybe you're sleeping with someone that's not your spouse. Just repent right now. Turn from it. You've already been forgiven, but turn from it. If you're a believer, turn from that sin and say, I repent and I'm sorry, God. I'm going to turn to you. There's forgiveness. There's grace. Not because you or I are worth it, but because Jesus is. Do you understand me? Let me end our time with this. As you continue in a, just an attitude of prayer, Christians, you pray. If you're not a Christian, I want you to listen. You can become a Christian. If this is making sense to you of Jesus' grace and love that He is extending to you, it's because the Holy Spirit of God is knocking on the door of your heart. I know that sounds like crazy, but he is saying, I am coming. I am I, waking you up from the dead. He says, follow me. Simply respond to that.
Become a Christian. Here's how you do that. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Believe it in the very core of you, your soul, your heart. And then confess it with your lips that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that you believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Listen, Jesus has paid for your sins. Past, present, future, they're all gone. So you have a choice now. Will you follow Jesus with your life? If you will, say, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I will follow you. Christians, you pray this too. I will follow you all the days of my life. You make the decision for me. End your prayer like this. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me?